Midlands Today on Midlands 183 with O'Brien's Mullingar. It's official Westmeath. No county loves Renault more. P.O.Brien.ie When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Well, good morning and a happy Friday to you. What are the weekend plans? Going to be very nice weather, hopefully. Well, mixed, but outdoors weather. Make the most of it. And if there's anything good happening in your neck of the woods, please tell me so we can share the good news. 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text or WhatsApp 083 30 10 103 and lots to talk about this morning, including whether you agree with this survey showing the vast majority of Irish Catholics want women to be ordained, priests to get married, and also more respect for the LGBTIQ plus community. Are you on board with that? The cost of living, some in Fine Gael and even in Fianna Fáil, are saying it has to be addressed before the budget in October. We'll be talking to one senior figure locally. And one dad is going to have one of the most magic moments of his life. And we're going to present it to him in around an hour's time. So that's with thanks to Jerry Brown Jewelers in Portlaoise. JerryBrownJewelers.ie. Now, what's on the front pages this morning? Uh, first paper to hand, the Irish Independent, and you see Rory McElroy on the front page, looking very smug and happy with himself, and why not? Because he posted a three under par total of 67 at the uh, US Open yesterday, and Shane Lowry was a little disappointed. He didn't have quite the start that he would have hoped for, but very much still in it, very much still in it. And uh, much will be determined today as to how he fares overall. Finnegal TD is given detailed plan for attacks on Sinn Féin. That's the main story on the Irish Independent. And if you were online last night, you may have seen a video shared. The exchange between Tornishta Leo Varadkar and Sinn Féin's finance spokesperson, Pierce Doherty. And depending on your politics, you'll have your own view on who won but it was a very personal exchange in which, uh, initially, Pierce Doherty referenced Leo Varadkar gathering uh, his colleagues and clinking glasses to toast 10 years of Fine Gael in government and contrasting that to the cost of living situation in the country. And few would raise a glass, he said, to Fine Gael. And then Leo Varadkar came back and said, well, your party leader is taking a first-class flight to Australia soon to clink glasses with the Trinity alumni and to raise money at a dinner for Sinn Féin at €1,000 per head. And all of this was very, very, I suppose, if you were in political circles, very entertaining. Nobody really advanced the issue of how much you're paying at the petrol pumps, how much you're paying to put food on the table. All of that got lost in the shuffle. And the main story here on the Irish Independent is that Fine Gael has put together an 18-page prep sheet for their TDs and anybody else who may be doing interviews or may be knocking on doors so they can slag off Sinn Féin, essentially. Anyway, 
the main story on the Irish Daily Star. Another nail in the coffin. Gorthy get the go-ahead to send summons to Keenahan in Dubai. And this is the Criminal Assets Bureau. They are posting papers to Daniel Keenahan of the Keenahan cartel, saying they're going to start seizing his assets. At the Irish Times, then, picture of Emmanuel Macron, the French president, embracing Volodymyr Zelensky, the Ukrainian president, in Kiev yesterday. And Mr Macron of France, along with his opposite numbers from Germany, Italy and Romania, were all in Ukraine yesterday in Kiev as the air raid sirens still went off and they pledged that status for Ukraine and for Moldova as candidate countries for the EU would be accelerated. Now, what's inside the papers? If you were following the Kevin Spacey story, he appeared in a UK court, Westminster Magistrates Court in London yesterday, facing allegations of abuse against three men who are now aged in their 30s and 40s. These allegations go back to 2005, some of them. And he has vigorously and strenuously denied the allegations. The Independent tells you that he is now allowed to fly home to the United States pending the trial. And he has been granted bail because he's a US citizen. He has children in America and he also has a nine year old dog in America. Yes, this is what the court was told. Young, clean, fresh and fruity. What are we referring to? A brand of wine, own brand, Leinster House Plonk. The uh, authorities in Leinster House, they pay €300,000 per year for their own brand of wine. And then they put it on sale. Apparently 8,000 bottles were sold uh, from 2013 to 2018. Did you ever taste it? I'm sure there are any number of memes that can be created. Leinster House Wine. Off you go. Those who are fast on the fingers, send me the text. How would you brand that one? What slogan would befit it? Anyway, the serious stories, though, concern the cost of living. Uh, The Irish Examiner, for instance, tells you that talks between the government and public sector trade unions broke down overnight without agreement. Because the union position is, inflation is through the roof. They're looking for pay rises in or around 6.75% for their members. And the government is not prepared to go that far. One quote from Kevin Callanan of the Irish Congress of Trade Unions. It was disappointing, he said, they were not able to conclude an agreement. But he did say some progress was recorded. Unfortunately, the two sides still very far apart. The Irish Times tells you that there is a growing recognition in government that it may have to give you some concession on the cost of living before October's budget. The Tornestelli over Adcar was interviewed yesterday. He said, we're not ruling anything out, but we have nothing specifically planned. So there's a possibility, but they don't have ideas in a nutshell. And Pierce Doherty of Sinn Féin, as I mentioned, he was in quite an exchange with Uh, Leo Baradkar in the Dáil after that interview and it is the Sinn Féin position that there should be a mini-budget. Some in Fine for instance, John Paul Phelan, the Carlo Kilkenny TD, 
feels the government needs to respond to your living costs before the budget. And that may happen. There may be something when they make the summer economic statement, whatever the address is. It may have a few little sweeties for everybody in the audience. Will he take uh, sad news, unfortunately, from Midlands103.com this morning as a man has died overnight in County Leash. There was a crash on the Balacolla to Rathdowney Road very early hours of the morning and the driver of the car was pronounced dead at the scene. He was only 41. There was another man with him, uh, believed to have non-life-threatening injuries and he is in his early 30s. So the road between Balacolla and Rathdowney is closed pending a technical examination when the Gorthy try to piece together what happened. And it's likely to be closed until at least midday. So if you're planning to travel in that direction, there are local diversions in place, so allow a little bit of extra time. A story that I suppose it's a good dilemma to have if you are inheriting a lot of money. The tax threshold for Parent to child is €335,000. Not many may have that much money to pass on to individual children. But because, well, sometimes there's an only child situation or there may be a property. And these days, houses are going up in value at such an extent. Most in Dublin, for instance, would be worth more than €335,000. Anyway, the government says... They will not abolish inheritance tax, but they may make changes to the system so that it is fairer if, for instance, there is somebody who doesn't have children, but their niece or their nephew or some other close relative has been caring for them. Well, they shouldn't be penalised on inheritance tax for not being a child. Uh, There are different rates depending on how you're related to somebody. And the parent to child is the most forgiving rate when it comes to inheritance tax. And two uh, interesting stories, finally, regarding your rights. So, if you have a landlord who just does not care, does not give two hoots about following the rules, this is a salutary story. So, a female tenant in Dublin was in a two-bedroom apartment with seven other people. There were bedbugs, The general conditions were awful and the landlord refused to return her deposit when she left. So she went to the Residential Tenancies Board, as all tenants are entitled to do, and the case proceeded to a tribunal hearing and they ruled in her favour. And there are no costs involved in doing so. You don't need to hire a solicitor or anything like that. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is, while they ruled in her favour, she's only getting back her deposit and €150 in damages. That's not exactly a king's ransom, 150 quid for putting up with all of that. And a final story regarding your rights, especially if you have an Apple iPhone. Do you ever suspect it is slowing down, that it is, over the years, programmed to no longer be as efficient and perform as well as the day you bought it. Well, users of iPhones in the UK should be paid €875 million between them 
according to a lawsuit that has just been filed. And this relates to an incident in 2017, five years ago. It was discovered that Apple was restricting the performance of older phones. And this was discovered when an update was posted out. And so the case has been made to the Competition Appeal Tribunal in the UK that the 25 million users of these older phones should receive compensation. And if they win in the UK, well, you can be absolutely sure that principle will extend across to Ireland or wherever you may be listening around the world via midlands103.com. And the claim relates to an iPhone 6, 6 Plus, 6S, 6S Plus, SE, 7, 7 Plus, 8, 8 Plus and the iPhone X model. So watch that space if you own one of those. It's Men's Health Week. And actually, many of the conversations we've had apply to everybody, men and women. But there are many reasons to promote men's health in particular, because, not the least of them, the gents don't mind themselves as well. We don't go for the NCT as often as we should. And whatever about physical health, there has long been a reluctance on the part of most men to talk openly about their mental health. And hopefully that's beginning to change. But let's explore why that is with Rory Hafford, who's a good friend of the programme. He's a psychotherapist and an author, and he lives in four in County Westmeath. Rory, good morning. Hey, Will. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very so, good. Culturally, things hopefully are changing for the better, and certainly there's more positive promotion of mental health in general. But are we maybe wired a little differently to women who almost instinctively seem to share more openly? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And and the way you've set that question up is, is the correct way to do so, if I may say, because it is the different parts of the brain that we traditionally think with. Now, we all have a similar brain, men and women, and, and there are more similarities to us than there are differences. But by and large, in case there's any neuroscientists listening to me at the moment, by and large, women would have a tendency to think with the more emotional side of the brain, whereas men think with the more action side of the brain. Uh, so women feel things a little bit deeper, traditionally, uh, which means they talk a lot more. They talk it out. They purge it out. They talk amongst themselves. They seek uh, support amongst their friends, their own kind. Whereas traditionally, if you looked at the stereotype, if a man has a problem, he, he's certainly not going to talk about it because it will come across as a kind of a weakness. Whereas men are, are, are seen as the, as the, the stronger of, of, of the sexes. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but that's what the stereotype has been over the years. So men don't talk about it. They drink it out. You, you mm. can see the, you know, the hardworking guy at the bar having the drink and, you know, and the barmaid saying to him, what's your problems, buddy? Do you know that kind of thing? So yes. It's, it's I'm just wondering, is that partially a product of the environment in which men have tended to be in? You know, the boardroom, the building site, these macho situations. Mm. It's, a, it's certainly an aspect of it, but it's, it's, not the, it's not the full answer. We are hardwired as human beings to act in particular ways. And when it comes to talking about our men mental health, men, by and large, view that as, as almost a stigma. You know, it's, it's a weakness. It means that I am less than. It means that I'm not fit for purpose. 
Where, whereas if you looked at it, stop for a second, just look at it, all it means is that you're going through a bit of a problem. So let's seek a solution. Whereas a lot of men traditionally uh, turn a blind eye to the solution and focus on the problem itself. So they just exacerbate the problem. And in the conversation, so once a man engages, does it tend to be the same issue? Does it tend yeah. to be the same solution as with your female clients? Uh, that's, an, that's, that's an excellent question, I have to say. Does it tend to be the same solution? I think if we approach it from the fact that we're all human beings uh, and we do fall into a, in, into a trap of, of our own cultural making, that men and women are completely different, not really, not really. We're all people and we all feel pain in our own ways. So certainly when, you, when you're dealing with a set of issues to, to come up with solutions and to ease the pain, that's similar. But having said that, there are different pointers for men and women. I actually have come up with a, with a little list of stuff that, that we can go through if you want. Yeah. And, and it could be helpful. But, but, but again, in, in, in your usual Will Faulkner way, quiz it. Dig okay. down into it. Because in, in, in that, I think the reality comes to the fore. Mm. I think w- one, of the thi- one of the things that I've, I've noticed over the years, certainly in, in, in the clinics that I've run, is that we, we fall into, into a habit trap. There is habitual thinking or, or habitual action at play. We have a tendency not to think about our lives. We have more of a tendency to do. So we get up, we have the same breakfast, we fall into the same type of clothes, get on, you know this, this scenario. So we just, we just habitually act mm. without really thinking. But we are thinking creatures by definition. Uh, je pense qui je suis, René Descartes. So one of the greatest philosophical minds in the world ever says, I exist because I think. Now, contemplate that because there's huge meaning in it. In it. But many of us don't really think about our lives anymore. We simply get up and put one foot in front of the other. I came across... Do we? Last do we? Sorry to interrupt already. Of course. But... Yeah. <laughs> that ability to go on autopilot, for instance, and you know, yeah. drive to work and do all the things mm. in the morning, mm. to me at least, gives me time to think. I don't have yeah. to concentrate on putting one foot in front of the other. That happens automatically, and mm. I can figure mm. out what I'm doing. Yeah, but the, the difference with that is you're not thinking about what you are, are, are immersed in or involved in at that time. Mm. You're not present. So I will put that question back to you. How many people listening today who are now sitting in work, who drove to work, can remember the journey? Very few, mm. I would imagine, because we are on autopilot. So we are, we are, we are doing without thinking. So this is part of the problem. We then become prisoners of habit, whereas the wonder is in being present. As I mean, so we're surrounded by messages and books on mindfulness. Mindfulness is this, mindful that. It's all over the place, and with good reason. It's, it's simply old wine in a new bottle. It's ancient Buddhism, mm. but it still applies to today. But I came across a thing last week on Steve Jobs. Do you know the, the, the computer? Apple lad, founder, who, yes. Yeah. And he used to do a thing uh, in, in his later years where, where he would get up in the morning, look full square in the mirror at himself and say, this is my last day. 
this is now remove the whole maudlin, you know, I'm going to die at the end, end of the day stuff. It wasn't about that. It was simply this is my last day. So what am I going to do with this 24 hours? Now, well, if you think about that, and if you stopped to think in that way, you go, well, if this is my last day, this is what I'm going to do. Yes. Instead of it, instead of habitually going through the day, just it w- would do w- a couple are, of things, really, wouldn't it? It would sharpen your focus on oh, yeah. what you were going to do. It would enhance mm. your appreciation of every passing second, and it would bring you into the moment. Oh, absolutely! Because we have become time killers. We're killing time for the most part. We're getting through. Thank God this day is nearly over. Thank God it's Friday. Thank God I don't have to, you know, we're time killers instead of, thank God I'm right in the moment and I'm doing something that I really, really Mm. want. Can I go through my list Yes, do. Okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) If I can get a word in edgeway. uh, uh, Number one, number one, I hope this computer doesn't fail me. Number one, chase your dreams and don't settle. And I heard, I heard a, a, a wonderful quote from, from uh, Conor McGregor, the fighter, mm. in his in, inimitable Dublin accent, when he said, if your dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. Now again, there's huge wisdom in that. Because even as I'm saying this, it's your dreams. There are people throwing chairs at the radio, you know? I mean, what, what, what's he talking about? How can, you, how can you chase your dreams? What dreams? But, but think about it. Think about it for a second. Well, another person who said never settle is Ray Dalio, and he's one of the world's most successful investors. So some of yeah. these really, really successful people share the same mantras. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely. Point number two. Do one new thing every day. Now, again, again... The well, that's ancient, a challenge. Of course, no. Yeah, what's wrong with a challenge, Will? What's wrong with challenging the self? Because what we're talking about here is getting out of old grooves, old habits. What we're talking about here is not settling for the problems in life, but looking instead for solutions. We can all do it. Like there is no, there is no difference between you, me, and Steve Jobs. We're all human beings. Why should he enjoy this, this, this? What would be classed as a successful life, and where everybody else is struggling? There is no difference except your thinking. That's the only difference. So, do one new thing to brighten up your life, to give you the juice back every day. It can be a small thing, but make it one new thing. Three, accept the self. Accept yourself. Now, we're surrounded by messages of self-esteem. Now, if you look at that word, esteem means to estimate, which means to compare. And every glossy magazine that we pick up, we are, we are assailed with images of what it means to be beautiful and acceptable and successful and if you oh, look it, at it's it, worse than that you used to have to deliberately pick up the glossy magazine whereas now it's mm. pervasive open up your mm. phone 
look at what your friends are up to and it's always the most filtered picture of them. Absolutely, and and that just that just uh, gives the lie to my age. I said glossy magazines, so I'm still thinking in in terms of magazines and newspapers and all the rest. But I'm so old. You're you're absolutely right. But it's the acceptance of the self will. This is the hand that life dealt you. You know what I mean? Accept the hand or reject the hand. And in all the years of of psychotherapy that I have been doing, I've never seen it end well with somebody who rejects the hand that life dealt. You really have to accept the human being that you are with all your faults, all your foibles, because there is beauty within there. There is, there is uniqueness within there as a human being. But all these messages that we are surrounded by now is you will only be happy if you look like this or if you drive that or if you live here or if you wear this. It's nonsense. All of it. It's tosh. Nonsense. So accept the self, and believe me, life will get a bit easier. Here's, here's a little one. I, I do like this, and we won't have to dwell long on it. Work out, train, run, mm. lift weights, mm. diet. If you look good, the research tells us that you have a better chance to feel good. Simple enough. Yeah, totally. Here, here's another one that people don't do. Do things that make you happy. So find out what it is that you like to do. And it can be simple things, going for a walk, watching a particular television program, eating a particular meal, talking to a particular person. Think about the logic behind that. If this makes you happy, do more of it. And then finally, above all, get meaning and purpose into your life. Now, I think over, over a couple of the interviews that, that we've done, I, I always have a tendency to come back to this because it is so important. Meaning and purpose in your life means that you can put up with almost any setback, with almost an, any disappointment, if you're following a particular goal. Like, for instance, writing a book like stuff that I do all the time, that injects huge meaning into my life and it pulls me into the creative process. And it means I'm producing something. There is a thing at the end of it. It means that I can attach my sense of self to it. It means it assuages the ego, but it means I am divorced from the travail, the normal hassles of life that, that, that assail people and pull them in there. If you have meaning and purpose in your life, it is, it is a huge plus. Can I suggest something, though? It can't just be your job because some people define themselves by the work they do. And then when they come to retirement age, they're left with a void. Although then Absolutely. I also know people who drift back into doing something similar, maybe in a voluntary capacity and so on. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, but again, the, the word define is, 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 a, is a very deep one. The stuff that you do. I mean, if you, if you go to a, to a party, God bless the mark, and you're, you're standing up against a wall with a, with, with a champagne glass in your hand, what is the first question generally that somebody asks? What do you, you do? What do you do? What do you do? Now, th th and, and the answer, the answer is very revealing. What do you do? Uh, I'm a bin man. Now, if you say I'm a bin, oh, can I say bin man? I'm a bin person. Can you, if you say I am a bin person, yeah. no, no, in case the letter starts yeah, putting yeah, it, yeah, yeah. I'm a bin person, automatically 
there's a stereotypical judgmental attitude that follows that as opposed to you saying I am a a brain surgeon you know now all of a sudden I see you in a different light things that we do they are not us it's not me it's not me Mm. people might say oh you're a writer not really I'm a human being who writes Mm. It's completely different. But because we get sucked into this definer, this definition, we therefore become the thing that we do. And again, it's not the complete truth. Rory? And you're right. You're right about people who, who do, when they come up to retirement and the job is no longer, and ceases to be Rory, I always enjoy chatting with you. Grateful you made Thank time you. for us today for Men's Health Week. We'll talk again. Great pleasure. Thanks, Will. Rory Thanks. Hafford, psychotherapist and author, and he lives in four among the seven wonders in County Westmeath. Forest Fest comes to Emo in County Leash from the 22nd to 24th of July. On the Friday, the four of us, Jack L, Ham Sandwich, Hermitage Green, on Saturday, The Stunning, Something Happens, Monday, The Riptide Movement, and many more. The Water Boys on Sunday, along with Paddy Casey, Damien Dempsey, The Hothouse Flowers. And again, the list goes on and on and on. And got to let you in on a little secret here. So Peter gave away tickets to the Friday night on breakfast. And Carl gave away tickets, or will give away tickets, to Saturday on the afternoon show. And Roy on the Sunday He's giving away tickets on drive time. But I've managed to sneak out, for you, the best tickets of all. Two weekend festival passes with a festival club upgrade. So you'll be there for the entire three days. And you'll be treated with the VIP specials as well. So midlands103.com. Enter now. Just tell me who you are, where you're listening. That's all I need to know on midlands103.com. Rewind the clock ten years ago. Westmeath County Council issued an invitation to Bruce Springsteen to come and visit his ancestral home. Why? Because a new book at the time revealed that Anne Garrity hailed from Mullingar and left for America arriving in Freehold, New Jersey, in 1852. And here we are all those years later. Her great-great-grandson, the boss, still lives in New Jersey to this day. And he's coming back to these shores for some great concerts, and it's hoped he will visit Rathangan. Hang on. Mark Stafford is a member of Kildare County Council. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Will. What's the Rathangan connection? Yes, Will. Well, you're correct. There has been some confusion in the past in relation to, uh, I suppose, Bruce Springsteen's descendants. We know he has a number of Irish descendants, uh, uh, but I suppose the one that, that the one that has been traced and has been identified is through his great great grandmother Anne Garrity 
who, as you say, left uh, for Ireland and travelled to Freehold, New Jersey, um, and, and, and the rest. It's history. But there were two, two competing claims in relation to where Anne Garrity hailed from, Rathone in County Westmead and Rathangan in County Kildare. Hmm. Now, in 2016, the leading US uh, genealogist, Megan Schmalnack, uh, researched uh, Bruce Springsteen's family tree. Now, she, she's an eminent genealogist. She previously traced Obama's, both Michelle and Barack Obama's family tree, Joe Biden and Annie Moore, who was the first Irish immigrant, to, or the first immigrant indeed, to pass through Ellis Island. So I think her work is generally regarded as, as, as being the, 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 the best. Uh, and she identified that uh, Anne Garrity could be traced back to either Rathone in County Westmead or Rathangan in County Kildare. But she preferred Rathangan in County Kildare. She said that Christy Garrity and married a Catherine Kelly in 1827 and they lived in Mount Prospect in County Kildare. And your listeners may be familiar with that. It, it's close to the Kildare-Offaly border. And indeed, Mount Prospect was the site of Offaly Castle, which was the home of Silken Thomas. But uh, and, uh, Megan Schmalnack's research showed that Christy Garrity, G-A-R-R-I-T-Y, uh, married Catherine Kelly, and they had a number of children. Uh, Christy Garrity uh, emigrated to uh, New Jersey in, uh, the, in around 1850, we think, and he was followed by his wife and three daughters in 1853, one of which was Anne Garrity. So... I suppose ultimately it's Bruce Springsteen himself who's going to get all these invitations and he'll have to decide, hmm, do I go there or do I go here? So what is your plan to tempt him to Rathangan? Absolutely. Now, we, I previously issued an inv- uh, a request to Kildare County Council to issue an invitation in 2016 uh, when the results of Megan Schmalnack's uh, uh, research was published. Um, we didn't receive a response. And as you say, he's received competing uh, invitations because in fairness, I know the people of Rathone had previously contacted or attempted to make contact with him as well. So I suppose we have a little bit of time because he's not due until May of next year. So we're going to try and follow up certain leads um, and sort of confirm our research here in Ireland, uh, establish maybe the dwelling house where his family may have come from in Mount Prospect. Are there any relatives still left? Uh, there are no Garrities left in Rathangan, but there are Kellys. Mm. So we're going to try and establish if um, any of his cousins are still around. Yes, do what they did in Money Gaul. Henry Healy was revealed to be, I think it was the eighth cousin of Barack Obama, and he made the connections, and that persuaded the former president to come to County Offaly in, I think it was 2011. So that could be one avenue to explore. I wish you well. I wish well also to Rathone. I'm sure the people there will be making their case. Mark, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Will. Mark Stafford is a member of Kildare County Council. That's not too far away from Clonbalogue. I wonder, can we in Clonbalogue make that case as well? We'll have to do our research, so we shall. Now, Steve Wall from The Stunning shall be here in half an hour. He's, I was about to say, he's going to be one of the stars. There are many stars who will be at Forest Fest in Emo from July 22nd to 24th. Really excited. Also excited because in 15 minutes, this 103 team will be giving one deserving...
a Midlands 103 magic moment. Compliments of jerrybrownjewellers.ie or you'll find Jerry Allison and all the team in Port Leash. And what they have in store today, well, all shall be in a few minutes' time. The cost of living and how to try and put money back in your pocket or else bring down prices and generally ease the pressure on families, it has been a contentious issue for months. And no more so than in the Dole yesterday when there were some heated exchanges, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But... The Irish Times talks to a number of sources within government, some named and some unnamed, and it says there's a growing recognition that there may be just too much political pressure and the government will have to move further on the cost of living, some interventions before October's budget. And even within Fine Gael, there are named TDs such as in Carlo Kilkenny, John Paul Phelan, who feels this must happen. Well, let's ask one of the most senior TDs in the Midlands, Peter Burke. He's a junior minister at the Department of Housing and he's the Fine Gael TD in Longford West Meath. Where do you stand on this, Minister? Good morning. Good morning, Will, and to your listeners. Obviously, the government has to really do its very best to respond to these huge challenges. I'm very aware of the very difficult decisions families are having to make now because of the huge increase in prices. But it is worth pointing out two things. Firstly, we've acted every single month, February, March and April, with key interventions, trying to make it a little easier for families. Even the fuel allowance over that period was increased by over 50%, right up from uh, 900, up to, sorry, 1,100 euro, from around uh, 400 euro per annum. So all those interventions are key in assisting people. But we have to be conscious of one thing, and that is that we currently have approximately a quarter of a trillion euro of debt in this country. Obviously, the ECB is now signalling uncertainty regarding interest rates. So we have to be careful we don't chase inflation into an unsustainable position. But looking at that, we also have to ensure that the most vulnerable are cushioned as best we can from the blow. So my message is, we can't really solve every single thing, but we're trying to do our best in terms of the most vulnerable. And government are now having very senior meetings, trying to see what more it can do uh, before Budget Day, as it has in terms of the evidence, as I said, over the last uh, four months. Well, let's take fuel in particular, because the price of petrol and diesel not alone affects families through what they have to put in their tank in their car, but also transporting goods to shops, it filters into the cost of living in so many ways. So as prices have gone up, the government's take also increases because there's a percentage applied, whether in VAT or in excise. So surely a reduction is not going to end up denting the coffers because you're getting more than you expected anyway. It is, unfortunately, because um, obviously uh, fuel is a consumption tax and VAT is a consumption tax. So what that means is that, well, while increases uh, in terms of revenue that comes in on VAT from fuel, that will be decreased in other parts of our economy because consumer purchasing power is reduced and they will not be spending uh, money on other items in the economy that do attract VAT. So as a global VAT take, uh, you won't see an increase because of this. And that's the reality of the situation. Secondly, and where the government is... I partially agree with you, but surely if there was a cut to reduce the cost of fuel, uh, that would bring down the price of those other consumables and then they would be bought in greater numbers. Not necessarily. The problem is more to do with the fact that the government is caught by the VAT directive. And this is unfortunately, Will, what you do not hear politicians saying. So if we just drill into this in the specific detail, and the EU VAT directive... 
the country has in Annex 3 a very clear obligation that it cannot reduce the VAT on uh, diesel or petrol any further than it has. It also is governed by the Energy Tax Directive, whereby it's maxed out in terms of the rate of excise that is permitted to reduce uh, both petrol and diesel by. So the state is maxed out on both. In order to go further, it would need explicit permission from uh, the European Commission, and that is very difficult to get because all European countries are obviously governed by the VAT Directive. We did get a derogation on fuel, but we brought that down to uh, 9% in terms of gas and oil, uh, and we had to get permission to do that because we have one of the lowest energy uh, VAT rates in the EU. And the f- concern was that if we went uh, down to uh, 9% without permission, that we would have to revert back up to 23% because that derogation was given in the 1990s. So this is very difficult in terms of taking, uh, you just have the capacity to take unilateral action and reduce VAT. It's simply not there. Okay. What else could be done? I think there's a number of areas that we're currently looking at. I think childcare is going to be huge uh, coming up to the forthcoming budget, healthcare, also the cost of college fees. And the government are looking at a range of issues, how we can support families. And that's what we have been doing because you can see some of these measures are only kicking in now this week, like the increase in the family working payment, uh, the 20% reduction, obviously, in in public uh, transport. I know a lot of rural people that will not impact on them, but there are only 800,000 users every day. The drug payment scheme, obviously, has gone down uh, to €80. That will also be of some assistance. And then we've looked at key sectors, like the agri-sector, where we have that uh, tillage scheme now for £12 The fodder scheme is just uh, out and open for applications this week, uh, around £50 into that. And obviously, in our haulage sector, we have uh, a rebate scheme uh, trying to uh, support uh, vehicles of around 18 million uh, to try and help those vulnerable sectors. And we still have our 9% VAT rate, uh, obviously, in the hospitality. So those measures are really kicking in now. But I do appreciate that families listening into the show that are very concerned and very frustrated that when they see inflation building and continuing to build, that it does leave them with very difficult choices. So that's what government is trying to look. How can it intervene and cushion the blow to the most vulnerable, uh, trying to protect them from that cost? But as I said at the outset, it is difficult because, you know, what we're doing here, it's like someone who is ill. You're treating the symptoms uh, by essentially uh, feeding more money into the economy. But the underlying cause, how you solve the problem, is a lot more complex. And that's why if you look around uh, from Northern Ireland, Britain, Spain, France, Germany, all other countries are experiencing this uh, because of the mismatch in supply chains, be it the war or COVID. And as well as what really causes inflation is constraint in supply. And we have that obviously, unfortunately, in energy uh, and housing, which isn't helping at the moment. A learned listener has asked, because the national debt has already been referenced in this conversation, inflation makes the value of money less, but it also in turn lessens the value of debt. Is there perhaps a strategy to allow some inflation uh, in the economy? Well, I think it really assists if you have a uh uh, fixed rate uh, interest rates in personal debt but the problem is obviously with the uh, state is that if a situation arises which is happening on two counts is that if interest rates actually go up obviously the cost to service that debt increases significantly but secondly is the bond markets are showing a uh, slight distress in some european countries uh, and that's the terms of the country trying to finance uh, its day-to-day current expenditure in terms of long-term borrowing and if our debt increases like it is now at the moment post-COVID we've took on a lot of debt obviously keeping our economy open if it increases well our capacity to attract finance and get long-term 
bonds in the marketplace to run our country becomes more unsustainable. And that's where it's very difficult for government to get that balance right of protecting the most vulnerable, but not leading the country into a path where it can't essentially wash its face from day to day. And that obviously will lead us into a worse place. So it is a difficult measure. But I want to really assure listeners that we are listening, that we are going to try and do our best uh, between now and the budget to see what else we can do that really will impact uh, on families. So does that mean... Try, try to extract, I suppose, something clear. You're saying we're going to do our best to see what else we can do. Will you translate that into a commitment? Well, the commitment is that there are high-level meetings in government to see what measures we can put in place. And this is very concrete to see what we can put in place to assist families like and the evidence is what we have been doing in terms of the various different measures that have assisted families, be it through welfare or be it through support like uh, in terms of the uh, various reductions between the drug payment screen, uh, scheme, public transport, energy rebate scheme, all those different interventions that we have had very targeted into families. We're seeing what more we can do in that space, what more we can do with childcare, what more we can do with college fees. All of okay. this is our... The budget is now. four months away. Can we take it there will be something before then? It's very difficult to pinpoint exactly, but we're absolutely open to doing something before then because we're aware, Will, that this is a very serious situation. Uh, we're not far off 9% potentially uh, next month, which is very difficult for families. So I would be one in government saying that we really have to consider taking a further step. But we just have to be careful. And I really want to point that out to listeners, that it's not a case you can do this every month, because you can't. Because if you keep following the inflation train, you will end up uh, in an unsustainable position. But we have to do our best to really navigate that very difficult uh, tightrope. And that's what we're trying to do at the moment. One other matter. The main headline on the Irish Independent today says Fine Gael TD is given detailed plan for a tax on Sinn Féin. It refers to an 18-page document outlined presumably to you and to other members of the Parliamentary Party who will do interviews. Uh, Sinn Féin hypocrisy is the title of it. Do you support this negative campaigning? Absolutely, and it's not negative campaign, campaigning. What we're trying to do is to uh, point out to uh, the electorate, you know, the proposals that Sinn Féin had contained within their alternative budget, what that would mean for people, how it would reflect in their daily lives. And quite simply, we went through each measure and pointed out the hypocrisy between what they're doing in the north and what they're doing here. But outside of that, issues like, and, you know, your listeners can make up their own minds in this, in their budget document that said they could build an extra 20,000 houses in the economy for €140,000 per house. Three billion they had in. Now, with soaring labour costs and soaring material costs, we know that's not possible, but people are actually making up their mind to support a party because of announcements like that. Also, in terms of the increase in uh, employers' PSI by 36%, we as a government were trying to, through the wage subsidy scheme and various interventions, were trying our best to hold jobs in the economy through COVID. They were trying to put a greater taxation level uh, on employment without any risk assessment. So we went through each of those measures and we're trying to you know, get a strong communication to the public that this is what it will mean to you right. if Sinn Féin well, the government. So we can't make any apologies for, for that. For the record, Sinn Féin will say that the North is a different situation because the budget is very much set by London. Um, on the matter of COVID, the party was promising helicopter money into bank accounts to try and stimulate uh, spending in the economy. I'm not going to go through point for point, but yeah. there isn't a, a Sinn Féin person here to defend the party. Hilda asks, does it not 
suggest to you the capabilities of the government are in question when all that is left is an attack on the main opposition party, surely you're better off focusing on your own policies than the opposition. And we absolutely are doing that. We have the most ambitious capital investment programme over the next decade, $165 billion, that people in their communities can look around and see post-COVID, be it outdoor recreation scheme or uh, rural regeneration scheme or urban regeneration scheme. So many uh, initiatives that are taking place in their areas. But, as I said, this has nothing got to do with the north of Ireland when you're saying that you can build 20,000 houses for €140,000 a house. That's our economy in the Republic of Ireland and they're saying they can do that. So I think it's important that this is the main opposition party. Do we let them almost go for a coronation straight into government? Or does a key party in government like Senegal challenge them on these key issues that they say they can achieve for such a low cost in an economy that has got uh, very difficult to deliver with supply chains and that? Or do we give them a free pass? And my view is that it would be so damaging to the economy, some of these measures, like increased employers' PSI, are putting up commercial stamp duty by 60%. That means if a farmer is trying to uh, increase his holding or consolidate his holding, it would be very difficult to do. If the business going through expansion, it would be very difficult to do. All these measures have to be pointed out, and then let the electorate in a fully and fair and balanced uh, information setting make up their minds after. Peter Burke, thank you for your time. Thank you. Peter Burke is the Fine Gael TD in Longford West Meath. He's Minister of State in the Department of Housing. Now, a lot of comments on the cost of living and different ideas. And that may be a good thing to focus on. I'll take absolutely whatever criticisms you have, um, whatever comments you have, good, bad, indifferent. But let's focus on what would really help you either between now and the budget or in the budget, what is that silver bullet, if such a thing exists, that would just alleviate the pressure that you're feeling in your pocket? Midlands 103 has been searching for the most deserving dad in the Midlands. And with the kind thanks of Jerry, Alison and all the crew at Jerry Brown Jewellers, we have a wonderful surprise for somebody who has been nominated this week. And it was very hard to pick, so therefore we could only do it at random. Randomly, Peter Dunn, where have you ended up this morning? Thanks, Will. We are in Mullingar at the moment. It was lovely and sunny in Mullingar, but now it's a bit rainy and windy. We're just inside the door here in Sterrypack, just outside Mullingar Town. We're here to surprise Brian Kelly from Clara because he was nominated by his daughter, Jane. And Brian has just walked in to the lobby now. Brian, do you know why we're here? Do you know why we're here? Um, is this Mid- Midlands 1 and 3? I have yeah. a, probably have an idea. <laughs> okay. Well, what do you know? I heard my daughter or wife, one of them, maybe put in something, something to do with Father's Day or something like that. Is that right? That's right. Your daughter, Jane. You can blame Jane for this. Jesus, oh, Jane. I'll, I'll, talk, I'll, I'll talk to you when I get home. <laughs> so she, she's told us all about how much of a great dad you were to herself and Anna. And we're told you're working hard at the moment with Jane, helping her to her junior, sir. Well, more so her ma. I can't take the credit for that. But yeah, yeah, I'm trying to trying to do my bit. But no, ma'am's going to have to take the credit for that. That's fair enough. But she told us you're an absolute rock. You're a gentleman. You're always quick with a joke to cheer everyone up. Do you have a joke? No, no, not <laughs> now. Not, not now. Sorry. Peter, <laughs> ask him about his dancing. Um, I have to ask you about your dancing. Tell us about your dancing. My dancing? Yeah. Uh, that, that's, that's a long time ago now, I tell you. Do you want to bust a move? There's plenty of room in the lobby here. No, I'm sure. You're, you're okay, yeah. Back, back in the 
the earlier days, all right, done a bit of uh, stars in your eyes kind of a thing, you know, Daniel O'Donnell, maybe um, Michael Flatley, um, maybe a few others, but they're probably two that stick out. <laughs> and you've, um, you've got a great reputation as an excellent cook at home, I believe. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I'll go along with that. Yeah, just not really. <laughs> I do my best, basic, but yeah, I try. Yeah, Jane has told us all about you, and she's told us how you're an absolutely brilliant dad, but you're, you're very out there, and you're able to embarrass your kids very And she's after she getting her own back done. on you him. You have to play cool and be up to date with, uh, you know, what's going on. Yeah, I try, I try to... Uh, to, um, I suppose, embarrass whenever, as much as they can. But that's, that's your job as a dad, in fairness, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There you go. So, as a result, we have this amazing pamper from Jerry Brown Dealers in Port Leach. So, you can have a look to it there. That's all for you, Brian. And do you have a message for Jane and Anna, by the way? I know. Look, listen, they're, they're, they're great kids. I didn't, I didn't realize, my wife just kind of gave me a heads up that potentially I may hear something, but... That, that's it, keep my phone on, but I, I didn't think any more of it. So she said that, you know, you'd be only included in a draw, probably won't, won't win or anything like that. But, you know, listen, th- thanks very much to the kids and Red for, for, for entering me first. Really appreciate it. And thank you, guys. Well-deserved, Brian, well-deserved. And uh, thanks very much. And you better get back to work before we get you the sack. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, th- thanks very much. Ah. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks very much, Brian. There you go, Will. Another magic brilliant. moment delivered across the Midlands. Brilliant, brilliant. Well Thanks done. Much. Well Cheers. done to all. That's oh fantastic. God. Fantastic. And thank you to jerrybrownjewelers.ie for once again supporting Midlands 103's Magic Moments. Now still on the agenda. We are going to have our Friday panel taking you through all the news of the last seven days. And would you be in favour of of priests getting married, of a greater role for the LGBT community in the Roman Catholic Church. I'll tell you what the new survey say after 11. Now, Forest Fest Friday, we're very much looking forward in just over a month's time to the inaugural event in Emo. And on those headline acts, you see the likes of the four of us. You'll see Jack L. You'll see Paddy Casey. And so many others, including... The Stunning. And Steve Wall is here from The Stunning. How are you, Steve? Good morning, Will. How are you? Great form, thank you. And the man who put it all together, the promoter, and a man I suspect has many greying hairs, Philip Marr. How are you? Good morning, Will. Good morning, Steve. Um, Unfortunately, the greying hairs are also disappearing (laughs) with with all of this. But anyway, we're getting there. How is it all coming together, Philip? Really, really well. Thanks, Will. And um, thanks for all the support from all the gang there at Midlands Radio 3. That's what it's all about. Great local station. So thank you very much. Um, it's coming together really, really well. Uh, our tickets are absolutely flying. And thank God we're about four-fifths sold out. So I think we're uh, well ahead of uh, where we were expecting to be at this stage five weeks out. So really very, very happy. And uh, I'm just literally humbled by the support we're getting from everybody in the Midlands for this. It's going to be an absolutely great weekend. Steve, you're headlining the Saturday night. Something happens Monday, the Riptide movement, Cathy Davy, those are some of the people on before you. What does it feel like to get back in the saddle after all those long months and years in COVID? It's great. It's great. I mean, we had a gig last weekend. We played up in the Knoll in North County Dublin. 
to a, a you know a, a sold out little festival. It was fantastic. People are itching for it. I also think people are really keen to support um, Irish musicians and Irish artists. I think that's really good, and I think that's one fantastic thing about Forest Fest. When I saw the lineup, it was actually blew me away um, because it reminded me of like the first Fela, you know. Or the, oh wow, that's high praise. To, going back to even like the the Liz Varna festivals. You know, I'm down here in Enniskillen, County Clare, at the moment, where where I grew up, and um, there's a pub across the road from where I live, Eugene's Pub, and they have all the posters from the Lisdon Varna festivals over the years, and it's amazing to sit there, have a pint, and and look at the lineups. But this Forest Fest reminds me of one of those classic Lisdon Varna festivals, where you have basically the best of Irish artists all on the one weekend. It's it's an amazing lineup. It really is. It's fantastic. And no wonder people are getting out in droves and buying tickets because it's um, it's supporting our own and there is no better music in the world than what's coming out of Ireland at the moment. And one thing I like personally, having a seven-year-old and an eight-year-old at home, is this is a family-friendly festival. The numbers are going to be strictly limited. And there's more than just the music as well. So if I can bring into the conversation Mark Gavin from the Port Art Collective. Again, keeping it local. What will you be up to, Mark? Good morning. Hey, guys. Great to talk to you. Um, so we're at the Port Art Collective, and as you can imagine, we're actually literally right beside Emo. We're, we're at the Forest Edge, uh, where we're based. Um, we're a collective group of arts and creatives. It's only kind of come together in the last year, and we're going to be bringing uh, a huge amount of family entertainment and arts to the festival, you know. I think, again, with the emphasis on local music and Irish music like that, all our creatives are actually uh, locally based. Um, we've kind of, you know, come together from, there was a Coder Dojo and Makerspace and now an art collective. And we're going to bring all that sort of eclectic mixture of crafts and uh, creativity. And there's going to be street art as well to bring it all together in the village and hopefully, you know, deliver a really great kind of family entertainment to, 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 to go hand in hand with the great music entertainment that's going to be on at Forest Fest. So we're really looking forward to it. And what will kids get out of it in particular? So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a kind of great mixture of stuff. So if you're coming with your kids, right, We've got, um, we actually have a, a makerspace in Port Arlington. So we're going to be coming along with our 3D printers. You can check out how they work. We've got VR headsets and um, there's Lego robotics. You can sit down and play away with them. We've got all sorts of crafts. Like, so one of the big things that our collective is over 70 members and a huge amount of the guys are experts in crafts. And they're actually going to come down. They're going to let your kids, you know, they can make bandanas, they can make tote bags. They can learn about macrame, you know, all that sort of stuff. It's interactive. And I think what we want is we're going to create memories so that when, when your kids come in there, they're going to have a great time, which is really important. It's like the, the family holiday. You want everyone to have a great time and they're going to come away with something as well too. And um, there's stuff for, you know, obviously the, the older members of the family as well that we're doing like live street art. So I don't know if you know, um, the, the, the film Belfast was on recently. The very first mural that's shown in Belfast is actually by a local artist, ADW. And he's going to come on board we're going to do live street art uh, ADW the Manoa group who are currently uh, uh, painting up all over Kildare Outlet you might have seen the work there too um, Dermot from Lurgan who's like a, like a really well renowned uh, artist as well too dance sessions so there's going to be um, Bubblock again a local guy he, he just gets everyone up and jumping uh, storytelling with Johnny McGorry you name it, it can go on there's a ton of stuff but I think the key focus is that this is local talent it's um it's a uh, local creatives and one of the great things as well too is like we've actually got four bands which are which are within the within the area and thanks to philip and the guys they're also going to be part of forest festival too like vendetta love um Aris redemption uh dopamine and motion sickness so it's really really good it really makes us feel part of the whole the whole thing you know so just can't wait for it to start 
Mark, or Steve rather, sorry, give us a bit of perspective on preparing for a festival as opposed to, let's say, some of the more intimate gigs you might do. Which gives you a better buzz? Um, well, they're, they're different, you know what I mean? Generally, say, on a more intimate gig, we might change the set list, you know. Um, we might play some stuff that, uh, you know, like album tracks, tracks that we wouldn't play as often. But for a festival, generally you're playing to a, a mixed crowd who are standing in a field and you kind of want to keep them entertained, you know. You can really see it if you kind of go off piece with a, oh, you know, um, here's a new song we're working on, you know. Unless the song is a complete banger, you can kind of see people, oh, this is where I wander off the queue for the Portaloo, you know. Um, so a festival set is all, it's, you know, you, usually you've got around an hour or so or an hour and a half. And you just you want to people keep people engaged, and um, so it's kind of generally what we tend to do is we just you know try and deliver the goods and uh, keep people boogieing and um, rocking, you know. Well, that's kind of. <laughs> I've no doubt you'd be well up for that on the Saturday you know night. I mean? we, we, we just you know what I mean. We get down to the basic meat and two veg, you know, for a festival set. <laughs> Well, I want to give the final word to Philip because uh, on the subject of scale, if the ticket giveaway that we have running on midlands103.com at the moment, if that's any indication based on the sheer number of entries, you're going to have problems filling, uh, getting enough people in there because um, we've got so much demand, uh, so many people want tickets, so many people probably will want to go and may end up disappointed are you going to go bigger next year? Um, well, the, the whole idea, I think, uh, Will, was to keep this very intimate and, like Steve was saying, have that kind of a nice, comfortable feeling like the, the old sailors and um, so forth and the students used to have. And um, we'll certainly be keeping a very, very close eye on, on numbers. We want people to have a great time, but be very comfortable, be very safe. And like, as you were mentioning, Will, that you can bring your kids and you, you can feel that they're in a very nice safe fun environment so i think we'll be we'll be we'll be very keen to keep it at that level i can't see us um going much bigger possibly a little bit bigger just to make sure people aren't disappointed but um but you're not going to have 50,000 people in there eventually no 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 we're not we're not going down the electric picnic road definitely not no no we keep it at a at a nice scale but um no it's we're we're we're, we're thrilled with the way it's uh, been uh, been received and the support we're getting so I think that's an indicator, as Steve was saying, an indicator of the love that people have for the amazing mm. Irish music that we have available mm. and some of the leg- legends that we have, like Steve and the guys from The Stunning. It's fantastic. Well, midlands103.com nearly crashed this morning when the ticket giveaway opened, so <laughs> I, hope, okay. I hope we won't leave too many disappointed today. Thank you, guys. Pleasure to have you on the programme. Thanks, Will. Thanks very Thanks, much. Will. Philip Marr who is the promoter of Forest Fest, Steve Wall from The Stunning, Mark Gavin of the Port Art Collective. And at the moment, you have a chance to win not just tickets to the Friday, the Saturday or the Sunday night, but to all three. And you have until about 10 to maybe 5 to 11 to go on midlands103.com. That's probably when we have to close the competition for now. 5 to 11 midlands103.com, fill out your details and we will be ringing somebody in the next 15 minutes with the good news. And it could well be you 
if you're fast with those fingers. A few weeks ago we told you about this new €400,000 fund for councils to buy up vacant sites and repurpose them into valuable community amenities. And we asked, where would be a good example of this? And we got loads of suggestions. Ellen Butler has been out and about across the Midlands visiting some of them. She'll bring you that report in around 15 minutes. Now, the vast majority of practising Catholics would favour the ordination of women, the marriage of priests who wish to be married, greater roles for divorced and remarried people, and indeed more respect for LGBTQI plus people within the Catholic Church. Now, let's find out why this survey was carried out and how it will be relevant to a gathering in Athlone tomorrow of 160-plus senior people. Patsy McGarry is the Religious Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times. He has the piece today. Good morning, Patsy. Good morning, Will. So, tell us more about the purpose of this survey. Well, this is a process initiated by Pope Francis, <coughs> excuse me, in anticipation of a synod that's taking place in Rome in October of next year, 2023. So as part of that process, he asked that the people, the ordinary practicing Catholics, be consulted worldwide. And here in Ireland, that process began last October when the bishops initiated a consultation or a synodal pathway, as they call it, with the faithful in each diocese, indeed in most parishes in each diocese. After which a report was collated of what people thought about various issues in the church, such as the role of women, the position of LGBTIQ people, um, the, the, the acceptance or otherwise of divorced, uh, of remarried Catholics, of cohabiting Catholics, of single parents, etc. And the role of the lady overall in decision-making where the church was concerned. They then prepared a report. This is every single diocese. And those reports were published by every single diocese on, its own, on their own websites earlier this month. And what's happening in that loan tomorrow is that all those 26 dioceses reports, diocesan reports, will be considered by these 160 delegates and synthesised into a single report, which will be sent to Rome in August of this year in anticipation of the Synod in Rome in October of next year. And the findings are probably no great surprise to anybody who's been clued into the views of ordinary Irish Catholics for the last 10 or plus years. They want far more equality for women right up to and including ordained ministry, whether that be to the permanent diaconate or even as priests. They want more respect for LGBTIQ people. In other words, to get rid of the language that describes them currently as objectively disordered with a tendency to evil, as described in a document by Pope Benedict in 1986 when he was dean of the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith. They want more acceptance for, for marginalised people like them and including, as I said earlier, divorced, remarried, etc., Catholics, single parents and uh, cohabiting couples. In other words, it wants the church to be much more accommodating, much more all-embracing of the ordinary faithful, including the sinners, which it would be argued includes just about everybody. Um, and indeed, greater role for the laity itself. Uh, the, the, there are also fears expressed that despite this view, this strongly held view by the vast majority of practicing Catholics in Ireland, and it should be emphasized, we are talking here about thousands of people. In Dublin, 13,000 people took part in this process. In Limerick Diocese, 5,000 people took part in this process. In rural Ireland, the smallest diocese, one of the smallest diocese in the country, O'Connery, um, up to 200 people 
part in the process. So it, wasn't, it isn't sort of a, a willy-nilly top of the mm. head. It, it sounds like there was significant buy-in, all right. And ha- have they done anything like this before to test the mood among the faithful? No, nothing on this scale. It is unprecedented in the Catholic Church, uh, as was described to the bishops at their summer meeting this week. In, uh, it is unprecedented in uh, 2,000 years of the Church. Of, 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 so, I mean, that's how, how, how unusual it is. And clearly, it's an attempt by Pope Francis to reorient the Church to the world in which it lives, uh, away from sort of a clerically dominated, curious dominated church run by um, male, by mainly white male celibates. Now, once it gets to Rome for this by the synod, way, yes, you were going to say. By the way, yeah, sorry, I just when I use the word celibates there. By the way, with a reminder that they also want priests to have the right to marry. In other words, that priests have the choice. That if they want to be celibate, that's fine. But if they want to marry, that they should be allowed to do so. So once this gets to Rome and it is held in synod, how will the, I, I suppose, findings filter into a decision? What will that process look like? Well, now, I mean, they described, uh, described it as a journey and that nobody knows what's going to happen. And frankly, that is the case. And the big fear is that but these are the views of the ordinary practicing Catholics that they may be frustrated by um, the hierarchy, uh, whether that be at a local or national level or at, at a Rome level. Um, really, no, nobody can say. This is a whole new ball game, And, um, uh, I mean, I would imagine Pope Francis is very much wide open to listening to the voice of the people and what they've got to say, not necessarily in a democratic sense. There's a concept in Catholic theology of census fidei, in other words, the sense of the faithful, and practicing people, what they believe should be true. And that has a standing in Catholic theology, which really has been ignored since Vatican II, when it was first read and seriously discussed. But he wants to drop that back centre stage and that the people, in other words, the practicing Catholics, be listened to more intently when it comes to the practice of the Church itself. Interesting question from a listener. Who are these 160 people who will express their voice in Athlone tomorrow? Are they clergy? Are they bishops? Are they lay people? They are a mixture of both, predominantly lay people. Um, I couldn't tell you because I don't know how they were uh, selected. Uh, they represent the 26 diocese all over the island of Ireland, by the way. The Catholic Church, like all churches, is an all-island institution. It's not just divided by the two jurisdictions. Um, and these people, I mean, and this is a point that personally would be uh, find very frustrating, they'll have, their, they'll have two sessions tomorrow, all behind closed doors. I don't know why the Catholic Church insists on having all its meetings behind closed doors. The bishops had their summer meeting this week, Meet Porterly, all behind closed doors. Meanwhile, the Church of Ireland had its annual General Synod last month, which was open to the media. Uh, the Methodist Conference had its uh, annual meeting there uh, two weeks ago. It was open to the media. The Presbyterians had their General Assembly in Belfast this week. It is open to the media, but the Catholic Church still insists on having its meetings behind closed doors. Well, if you're one of the 160 people, we'd love to talk to you next week, but otherwise it's going to be... a uh Needle in a haystack. Patsy, grateful for your time and thank you. You're very welcome. Take care. Bye-bye. Patsy McGarry is Religious Affairs Correspondent with the Irish Times. Now, we're closing that competition for weekend passes to Forest Fest. And by the way, forestfest.ie is where you can go for all the information on tickets and the lineup. And right now, we have to pick at random somebody who's going to win Uh, passes for all three days and it could well be you so have your phone on over the next 15 minutes 
All right. I really, really hope we can delight as many people today. If it's not those weekend passes, well, on the afternoon show, we'll be giving away tickets to Saturday on drive time tickets to Sunday. So we will try and make as many people happy as we can. Uh, But I do suggest forestfest.ie because the tickets are limited. If you don't win today, check it out and don't be disappointed. Good morning. So if you fancy premium tickets, not just ordinary tickets, premium tickets, Sunday, awfully taking on Westmeath to the forthcoming Browns venue on William Street in Tullamore. Those tickets can be yours. So to enter, text the word Browns with your name and address to 083 30 10 103. And the winner will be chosen randomly this afternoon. You'll hear this again at one o'clock for the main lunchtime sport and again in the three o'clock bulletin. And you have until after that bulletin to enter. So... Again, it's the word Browns, along with your name and address, 083 30 10 103. Premium tickets for Westmeath taking on Offaly in Croke Park this Sunday, thanks to the forthcoming Browns venue in Tullamore. Now, some weeks ago, you may have heard a €400,000 fund has been created to help county councils buy vacant sites and repurpose them as community spaces because these dilapidated buildings and eyesores are unfortunately a familiar sight in every town and village around the Midlands. But just how prevalent is it and can we effectively transform them into something new? Well, Midlands 103's Ellen Butler has been finding out. Well, Liam, how are you getting on? How are you? Do you want to be interviewed? <laughs> I recently paid a visit to Mount Rath, a former market town that lies at the foothills of the Sleeve Blooms, and like any rural town or village, after years of decline and depopulation, it's trying to navigate a way forward and find its feet as a thriving community and business hub once again. Dereliction is one thing that doesn't go unnoticed in a town like Mount Rath, although many of us are all too familiar with seeing abandoned buildings on our main streets and market squares. Local independent rep with Leash County Council, James Kelly, showed me around the town to take a look at some of the worst affected areas, but also some of the green shoots of prosperity that are appearing in parts of the town and how to keep that momentum going. Um, But when you look across here... This is Audrey Kingston's uh, pharmacy and Audrey works in the pharmacy in Port Leash and she has decided to invest in a pharmacy here in, in Main Street, Mother. Well, Audrey, how are you doing? This how is you doing? This is Ellen from Midlands 103. We're just going to walk around and I was just saying that you're opening up the business Congratulations. here. Congratulations. Great news to see uh, somewhere opening up rather than shutting oh, down, you yeah, know, yourself. Hopefully, we're just a bit delayed with electrics, but otherwise, yeah, it's all very exciting. You're obviously uh, confident about Mount Rath anyway in the future, if you're, if you're investing in it. Oh, sure, Mount Rath, there's so much in Mount oh, Rath, to be honest with you. It's, just, it's a great buzz of a town, I mean, for the size of the town, there's great hub, and like, it's huge hinterland, so there's a lot to offer. Um, and we're uh, far away enough from both way, but close enough to be, you know, not to lose out, but, you know, uh, yeah. I think the tolls, I think that helps Mount Rath a little bit as well. Well, there's, um, there's a few people around. Like you'd, you'd often go into a village or a town, oh, and there'd be, yeah, no, wouldn't be a sinner about. There's always a buzz. Like no, there is to be honest with you. There's always a buzz. 
plenty of business. I think once you get a little trickle, you'll get some more, and it just builds momentum. And if we all just lose faith in it, it's like anything. We all jump off a sinking ship. And that's the way it is. Great. Yeah. Best of luck to you. Hopefully, four, five weeks, I'll get you back. <laughs> There's a couple of lads. They're working. They tell for us in the in the hardware as well over there. How are you doing? Enjoying the good weather? Nice to see a new business arriving in. Yeah. Good sign from Mount Rath. Yeah. There does seem like there's a kind of a buzz around towns and villages post-pandemic. Yeah, I think so, because during the pandemic, I think people did stay at home, shop local, and it has helped the small businesses. As you can see in town here, a couple of small shops have opened because of that. And hopefully, people will realise shopping local does have their own communities, all going back into their own community. But for the shops, sports clubs, the general community, so... If people keep that trend going, I can see it's going over the next possible recession or the decline again. This could look to be coming on the right. This is Shannon Street here, and as you can see, we have our lo- local library here as well, and we have the credit union. Uh, there was uh, two pubs down here as well. There's only one now, but one of them that was closed is now a very busy Chinese restaurant. Okay. And uh, Tracy Ma and her husband there, they're doing very well. So it does sound like there are some supports out there to help with the burden of vacant and derelict property. But what policy is actually in place to make any of these ambitions a reality? Caroline Hoffman, CEO of Leash Chamber, tells me more. So the Commercial Vacancy Incentive Scheme, we launched this in collaboration with Leash County Council in March. So Port Leash is the pilot town and we're currently undertaking studies um, to roll this out across other towns across the county. So we've had a really positive response. So there's 11 potential grants and supports available in the scheme. And even if you're an existing business, I'd encourage anybody to get in contact with your local authority, your business support unit, your local enterprise office, and see what supports and grants are available to you. Included in it is HR support, business promotion, shop front grant enhancement, facade enhancement, um, shop fit out. So it's really helpful for people, particularly when you're setting up a new business, to help with these startup costs. Um, Another interesting one as well that Leash County Council have is the business incentive scheme. So if you are taking over the lease of a property that has been vacant for more than six months, you can get a grant of up to 75% in the first year on your rates. And then it is 50% in the second year and 25% in the third year. Um, And I think there's been really good uptake on that as well. Yeah, I imagine that's that's a good one in that people are sometimes not incentivized to actually use the vacant building that's in front of them, whether they're they're the owner or not. It's actually maybe more of a headache to, to turn that building around. So so getting that extra bit of funding, I suppose, goes a long way in that regard. It's not just isolated uh, here in the Midlands, but nationally, there are landlords that are allowing their properties to go to wreck and ruin. And, and that's just not acceptable as all, at all. Nobody should allow their property to get into that state. So it's positive to see the dereliction building regeneration bill will allow local authorities to have more power um, in this respect and potentially comp- use compulsory purchase orders when a property is left in that state so they can be re- utilised and you know, repurposed. I know the council, as you say yourself, are trying to CPO them, but it does seem like quite a protracted process. I'm sure it must be frustrating for those of you involved in it. Well, absolutely. It's, it's disappointing when you pass by units and you can see there's so much potential there. Um, now, it is, you know, it's a very 
minor amount of, of properties that are left like that. Um, but it's still disappointing to see. And another thing in relation to the dereliction building regeneration bill, which I've you know taken a great interest um, in looking at, is that it simplifies the planning process. Um, there'll also be a town regeneration officer appointed to each local authority. Um, and that'll be hugely beneficial. I think that's, you know, such an important thing to revitalise our town centres. One way to attract people into our towns and villages is through remote working hubs. And Mount Rath is home to one of the first in Ireland. I stopped into Bloom HQ on my visit to the town to find out more. I'm Edward Dunn and I am the chairman of Bloom HQ. I got involved with a community group here called the Mount Rath Community Forum and we were looking at ways at which we could sort of unbypass Mount Rath. There was also a huge problem with community resources that different community groups had different buildings all over. So there was no one consolidated space that the whole community could come to and use. And um, a local uh, entrepreneur from here flag this place with me to say well look what's happening with the convent that's been derelict for years it was shut down it was an old school it's empty seven or eight years mm. and a huge premises a just huge sitting premise. there in front of you sitting there in the middle of the town with nothing happening with it so i went and approached the Brigidines, uh, uh on the recommendation of the community group we had a chat with them uh, we offered originally to try raise the funding to buy the building from the Brigidines and put it back into community use. The Brigidines at that point, uh, over tea and scones in one of the uh, houses in the community, actually just gifted it wow. when they knew what it was going to be for. And uh, uh, we were obviously delighted about that. It was yeah. incredible, you know. So we obviously, when we took ownership the ownership of this, we put together a community trust. So we looked at ways we could actually bring in cash flow to make it sustainable. So we'd try divide the building up into particular ways that we could rent out portions of it to different groups. Okay. We did a, a gym. We had a community uh, side which could accommodate the Faroigas, the Scouts, the community groups, camera clubs, uh, art clubs. And then we had a work space that could basically charge rent for office desks, high-speed internet and coffee. Okay. So you get money coming in while you're working on, on the larger project. Yeah, the whole project was basically, to draw, the whole idea of, commu- of Bloom HQ and the community place was to try bring people, business people and organisations back into the space to rent it, to give us cash flow, to be able to actually mm. keep the lights on, keep it heated, keep it maintained. And we're at a point where three years later now where we can actually, with the rent coming in from the hot desks, from the events, uh, we had a 150-seater event here with the IDA last week and we're able to charge organisations for coming mm. in here now and we can actually get that income in and that income go back into putting on activities for the local community because it's not just a workspace you can work here you can go to the gym you can take a shower after the gym and go back to work you can have a meeting you can go out and play in the basketball courts we've sports facilities we've got canteen facilities uh, so we've as it's like a community yes yeah. work-life balance center but it seems that's what people want that yeah. that element of flexibility yeah. and and people realize they don't want to be <coughs> slaves to the machine and yeah. they want to be able to to balance their home and their work life so Considering it's a, it's a relatively new um, initiative, it's probably maybe too early to say, but do you see the effects it's having or maybe what kind of vision do you have? I know I was chatting to James about the, the issue of keeping young people in, mm. in a town or a village like Mount Rath and that's how you, I suppose, secure the future. 
do you think Bloom HQ would be a big part of that or might, yeah, might I, I result think, in I that I think happening? sometimes like the, the Mid- Midlands towns and rural towns have been unlucky in that respect and that they have been sort of left where the investment has happened in major cities. And if you can get a little bit of energy into a place, people realise we can do this, we can do something about this, and the positivity starts to, to, to breed then. Back on the streets of Mount Rath, local independent councillor James Kelly echoes those sentiments. As they say, a savage loves his native place as well. It's not uh, no can do, it's can do, you know. And that report by Midlands 103's Ellen Butler. Midlands Today's Friday panel. Thanks to Ara Logistics Ireland's Tullamore. Take the pain out of Brexit. Are customs clearances a problem? No problem for the team at Arrow. AORO-logistics.com Let's meet our Friday panel and today we start with Elaine Byrne from ElaineBurnSolicitors.ie based in Affboy. How are you? Good morning, Will. How are you? How are things? Oh, good form. Friday is always a recipe for good form. We also have Eamon Brady from Wheelahan's Pharmacies in Mullingar. Morning, sir. Morning, Will. How are you? I'm in good form. Thank you. Claire Mulvihill is here as well from Athlone Credit Union. Morning, Claire. Good morning, Will. How are you keeping? The form is mighty. The form is mighty. I'm curious if we can start with actually Eamon, since Mullingar did very well in the Eyeball Litter League at the start of the week. And uh, Athlone did well too, uh, should stress, fourth best in the country. We'll come to that in a moment. How's the town looking today, Eamon? Um, looking looking good. Um, there's a good bit of roadworks going on, which is, I mean, it's... Um, um, short-term pain with long-term gain, but um, and like I suppose, I think the I think the council are preparing for the plan a few weeks, so they're getting getting everything spruced up. But the town is looking good. Like um, I see I see in that survey that um, Monagar sixteenth. So I think that means I think that means moderately. No, 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 but, um, clean, clean. It's clean to European. Oh, it's the upper end. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's looking, it's looking, it's looking great. I have to say, the town, like it's very, like we're, we're lucky in Mullingar. There's very few empty units from a, from a, say, a retail perspective. The town, they did up the town a few years ago, as you know. Um, it's looking brilliant. I know there's a little bit, well, more, more a little bit, a bit of controversy about the traffic management of the town, but overall, it's looking, looking great, and um, it's well, it's going to be well prepared for the, for the fly in a few weeks. So, looking forward to that. So. The judges said it gave a positive first impression because of the approach roads. Also, top-ranking sites included Mayfair Green Shopping Centre, Oliver Plunkett Street. The only real eyesore was the Canal Park area, which was heavily littered, and otherwise it's well on its way to climbing those rankings. Athlone Clare had a superb performance, said the judges, particularly the approach roads, the bus and the train station, Count John McCormick Square. So what's your take on how Athlone has improved over the year and climbed those rankings? Yeah, no, it's brilliant to see that it's been noticed, you know, um, the work that um, groups put in in Athlone to keep it clean and tidy and like some of the investment in the infrastructure around Athlone, you know, with those lead-in roads, etc., um, you know, it's really great to see. And, you know, it, when the, the sun shines in Athlone, it really is so beautiful walking up that main street, you know, especially with the reduced uh, traffic on it now in the pedestrian areas. You know, it really is beautiful. There's no better place. One of the trends the judges noted, Elaine, and this was everywhere. So PPE and, and face masks not being discarded as much as last year, obviously, because uh, the pandemic isn't. 
as raging as it was, but in their place, coffee cups and the forthcoming latte levy, as it's called. That's something that may address this as people move to reusable cups rather than disposable cups. Or will they? Is 20 cent enough to change behaviour in your opinion? Well, yeah, I think I, I suppose it sort of reminds me of the plastic bag levy. And before that, sure, we all got our plastic bags and, you know, didn't give it a second thought. Whereas now, you know, we bring our bags with us or we use a box or we carry something. So I think that a levy will work. Um, and yeah, as you said, Will, I think coffee cup litter, it remained high. It was evident in a quarter of all of the sites surveyed. And I think that action needs to be taken and that we need to do something to disincentivize the use of paper cups, even compostable or maybe recyclable ones, because just too many of them are ending up on the ground. So, yeah, I would hope that if there is some kind of levy that we'll maybe bring our reusable cups and be a bit, little bit more aware of waste. I've just got to challenge that a little bit because with the plastic bag levy and you're going back nearly 20 years when that was introduced when you do your weekly shop you have several plastic bags the levy would have added up quite quickly whereas a coffee cup at 20 cent I mean with inflation over the last couple of months they've probably added 20 cent and more to the coffee and you just kind of swallow it, so to speak. So is it going to have the impact that the policymakers hope, Claire? Um, I don't know if it will. I, another thing I'd be saying is, you know, try and get the coffee shop owners involved. Like I've noticed in, an, in Athlone, a huge spring up of coffee shops, you know, on every corner, multiple ones springing up. Um, you know, try and get the coffee shop owners involved. Ask them to offer, you know, incentives for people bringing in a reusable cup. You know, like we all head out the door in the mornings and bring our coffee cup in the car, you know, for the commute into work. But, you know, bring that in with you into the coffee shop. Get a euro off your coffee coffee if you bring that in with you. You know, you know, try and get the coffee shops involved too, you know, so you're getting it from both sides. Here's a text from a listener which Eamon might take. It says, never mind the waste. Ask your pharmacist whether all of these large coffees that we take every day are good for us or not. The mi- messages are mixed, it says. Yeah, it's like it's like everything when it comes to diet. You, you'll, you'll hear a lot of conflicting evidence. Um, in very general terms, they reckon up to three coffees a day is, won't say good for us, positive. Well, yeah, I'd say good for us, right? And once you start going over three it starts getting negative you know like for a few reasons like too much caffeine too much of a stimulant you have a crash some of us put sugar in our coffee um also a coffee a caffeine is quite dehydrating which most people will know you know so actually like instead of hydrating you actually it tends to um dehydrate you you know so what i'd say is i can ask this quite a bit and i generally say up to three a day it's fine you know i'm a I'm a, I'm a, like, I'm a probably a six a day man myself, but um, yeah. Here's the the catch: not all coffees are made equally. So there's a difference between, let's say, that Nescafe, that single spoon you put in in the morning and mix up, and if you go into Costa, for instance, and you order the large cappuccino, which comes in this big cauldron, and there are four shots of coffee in one single order, so yeah, you wouldn't the, want to have four of those in a day. Yeah, and that's very true. Not everything's made equal. And the other thing to think about is the amount of calories as well. 
like you're say you're americano just you're you're plain coffee like you might have you know we'll add a bit of milk but it might only have 30 40 calories if you get a large large cappuccino a large latte you could have anything from 200 to 400 plus calories and that's then you have all these other frappuccinos and different you know so calories is another issue that sometimes we don't we don't think of when we get coffee like you know so it's um yeah so there can be a lot of negatives all right if you, if you think about it properly like you know so but like a, few, a couple of coffees a day is going to do anybody, no, nobody any harm. Yeah, well, such, I was you know. looking at Elaine there nodding away, and I'm thinking, hang on a second, you probably work late into the night on legal papers. I'm sure you have a coffee beside you. Yeah, yeah, I'd like my cup of coffee. Maybe what Amy was saying there about the calories, you know, when you go in to the coffee shop and then maybe there's a the croissant or the Danish and they have it as a package, so it can be very tempting then to get the there's something nice with it. So that maybe would be my downfall with the coffee. If I had the coffee by itself, it would be okay. But uh, I might then be tempted to get the, the big muffin or something with it. But I suppose, as Eamon said, everything in moderation. Yes, that's called the upsell. On our Friday panel, Elaine Byrne of Elaine Byrne Solicitors in Athboy. Claire Mulvihill is here as well from Athlone Credit Union. And Eamon Brady from Wheelahan's Pharmacies in Mullingar. Who is going to be very happy as they win tickets, not just to Friday, not just to Saturday, not just to Sunday, but for all three days of Forest Fest? Well, the phone has been answered in Coralstown, Mullingar, by Buddy Quinn. Morning, Buddy. Good morning. How are you? How are you doing? I'm in good form. I'm in good form. Who are you looking forward to watching at Forest Fest? Oh, I don't know. Them all. They're actually all good bands. So, look, uh, Riptide, I suppose, would be one of them. It'd be very good. It'd be a good few, you know. Well, I have great news uh, for you, because you really don't have to make up your mind which night you want to go. Because you're going to all three. Oh, lovely. Absolutely. Thank you very much. But Appreciate that. Here's the dilemma. Who are you going to bring? Uh, well, I suppose I'll have to bring herself. And does herself have a name? Uh, Ashleen. Ashleen is her name. Well, Buddy and Ashley have a great time at Forest Fest. Thank you very much, Will. Take care. Buddy Quinn in Coralstown in Mullingar. The Friday Panel on Midlands 183 Brought to you by Arrow Logistics Ireland Tullamore Straight talking logistics solutions For all your air freight, sea freight And customs clearance needs AORO-logistics.com Nice to make people happy, isn't it? Our Friday Panel includes Claire Mulvihill from Athlone Credit Union Elaine Byrne from Elaine Byrne Solicitors And Eamon Brady from Wheelahan's Pharmacies In Mullingar Now, I knew... The solicitor would pick this story. The protocol and the legal argument between the EU and Britain and Boris Johnson and his government's attempt to override the withdrawal agreement and scrap it all. And Well, this is, I suppose, fascinating, Elaine, from a legal standpoint. What do you make of who's going to win uh, on a legal argument, whatever about politically? Yes, well... Yeah, so so with the the protocol, I suppose we all remember the really, really crazy long negotiations between the UK and the EU about Brexit. And so I suppose my understanding of the protocol is that there's two parts. So that A, our friends in the North, that they are under EU rules for goods and customs. So this keeps an open border with us. 
and then B, the goods from the UK are checked at ports in the north before entering the EU market. So London then has changed its mind and it has introduced legislation to amend the protocol. So I agree with our European Commission Vice President, Maros Sefcovic. So he has said that there is no justification for unilaterally changing an international agreement. And so the EU has started three sets of legal proceedings. So number one is for Britain's failure to ensure adequate staff and infrastructure to carry out the checks in the north. Number two then is for not providing us or the EU with sufficient trade data. And number three then, it's one that it was paused a year ago at the time to improve the atmosphere around talks and it relates to the movement of agri-food products. Now, I suppose we're, I, I'm agreeing with, um, with the EU, but look, I suppose if I was across the sea, I might have something different to say. So, say uh, Boris uh, uh, Johnston. Yes. I'm sure they'll have eminent legal minds looking over it. And I'm curious, where will this be heard? Who has jurisdiction when countries fall out? Yeah, so it, it would be the European Court of Justice but again, Britain are saying maybe that they're, you know, because they're out of the EU, that, you know, they shouldn't be within the remit of the ECJ anymore. But I suppose it's like any legal proceedings. There's always, always two sides to it. But um, I think interestingly, you know, hopefully it will, you know, hopefully the, the legal action won't have to go ahead and hopefully a practical solution will be found because I suppose for our friends you know in the north you know there's such you know political and uh, economic repercussions to this that hopefully it'll just be sorted. It will probably play out in the political arena more so than in the courts but again no nobody has a crystal ball it's just another layer of uncertainty on top of Ukraine the wake of Covid and all of the other challenges that are feeding into this rising cost of living, which here in Ireland has become the political story of the year. And I'm curious, Claire, are you seeing the effect of that in the credit union in terms of people maybe not being as confident drawing down that home improvement loan, maybe not taking that loan to go on holidays? Or does it appear that people are spending regardless? moment we're seeing a lot of loans still coming through so it hasn't kind of filtered in there at the moment so we're still very busy at the moment and um, but I'm sure it's only a matter of time now before it will filter down but at the moment no we're still very busy and we're still seeing a big uptake on those home improvement loans car loans personal loans you know your holiday loans all of that on the car loans they're challenged by stock because I know so many dealers are just struggling to meet demand. If you order a car from some manufacturers today, you may not see it until next year. Absolutely. And if you're listening to any of those Skoda ads apologising and asking you to be patient, you know, um, it, it is crazy to think. And it's the same with uh, home loans for, you know, we do see you mortgages. And, um, you know, it's crazy to see, you know, the people wanting mortgages, but the stock isn't there. Well, 
All of this, of course, is temporary. They hope housing supply will improve into 2023. Uh, they hope the bottleneck for uh, microprocessors, that's what's held up many car manufacturers. Uh, but then again, many of those components are made in Ukraine, so you can only predict so far ahead. Eamon, let's change gears here for a moment. A story that many people got wound up about this week, the frontline healthcare workers who had been promised a €1,000 bonus for being on the front line during the pandemic, and it turns out thousands of them have yet to receive it, despite it being promised back in January. Who qualifies as front line? Because I'm thinking pharmacists and indeed your team, you would have been open during much of the pandemic. Do you get the €1,000? Do your team do? Unfortunately not. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's um, it's only for people in the public sector. Um, we're, we're like contractors to the public sector, I guess. So we're all um, pharmacists or independent um, traders or private businesses. So, yeah, it's like it is the most... Look, I can see both sides of it. Like, you know, the government's can be, you know, where does it end? You know, like, given, you know, and I have to, like, I think the government have made some exceptions for, I think, actually, given to carers as well. Actually, like, who really deserve it as well. People who are, like, caring right through, you know, for their own family members, and that's right through, you know. But yeah, and I, like, I know our, our union, Irish Arms Union, did make, um, did speak, you know, speak to the government, see, could they include pharmacy staff, you know, and it'd be, it'd be nice, if, if, like, you know, it's like, yeah, they definitely deserve it, but um, unfortunately, I don't think they're going to budge in that, you know, and I suppose that the, the controversy this week is disappointing that they actually still, for the people that do, are entitled to it, they still haven't got paid, apparently, most of them, you know, so it's like, it nearly takes the good out of it, you know, you're expecting, you're told, you're expecting a thousand euro and you might have planned your holiday or paid for your holiday or, to the credit union there to get your loan and then you've come to the city you still haven't got it so it's nearly taken the good out of it for the people that are entitled to us you know so so yeah it's a pity that happened but anyway on our friday panel that is the voice of Eamon Brady from Wheelahan's Pharmacy in Mullingar. Elaine Byrne is here as well from Elaine Byrne Solicitors in Athboy. And Claire Mulvihill from Athlone Credit Union. You've got a take on any of the topics? Here's how you tell me. 083-3010-103. The Midlands 103 text and WhatsApp line. Powered by Lamb Brothers Arden Road, Tullamore. Home of Toyota. The top-selling car brand in Offaly. The president, Michael D. Higgins, was accused of crossing a line this week when he made a speech in Kildare suggesting that housing isn't a crisis anymore, it is a disaster. And many government ministers, not putting their name to the comments, by the way, suggested that his interventions are embarrassing, that he doesn't care anymore, he's more popular than the government and does what he likes. One said he didn't help out during the pandemic at all, the only thing he did was go on the Late Late Show and again attack the government during that one brief period when the public supported the government. And so on and so forth. Now, Eamon, you've probably uh, had your ear to the ground in the pharmacy listening to conversations and so on. Has uh, Michael D. Higgins crossed a line or not, in your opinion? I don't, um, most of the few people I talked about, no, I don't think he did. You know, like what he says, it's very true. You know, it is, I suppose, like the, the greatest failure, you know, in, the, in, in the, probably the last, well, I don't know how long, but definitely the last 15 years, 30 years, maybe in, in Irish history. You think about, I suppose, you think about it, like, it will go back to Michael D in a minute, but like, 
you think about like in the 1930s and you know 40s when the country was on its knees we we built so much social housing and now when we're meant to be the richest country in the world or sorry one of the richest countries in the world apparently per, per capita we we can't um, get it right you know now look in fairness to the government they've had you know like the pandemic didn't help in between and cost of cost of everything now but um they seem to be look they're 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 trying to catch up eventually you know and it's just unfortunate now when they are catching up you know the cost of living or the cost of materials and everything you know it's like like for example i was talking to like they're pro- like it's gonna like it's, well, look it's, well, i think it's gonna get worse before it gets better like i was talking to um 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 what's it called a uh a man that owns um, a building suppliers, Kilmurray's um, actually beside me in Clamore, Mullingar, Dermot Kilmurray, and he, um, there were big building suppliers in Mullingar, and he, like he says, if it wasn't for social housing, they had a very little business at the moment. It seems to be the only thing going on, not going on, but in the sense that a lot of private um, building has stalled or put on long finger because of the cost of everything. You know, people are putting it off, open the, you know, so... There is there is another reads. angle there as well, and, and Claire might be well placed to talk about this. The central bank has what are called macroprudential rules, and they require that you earn a certain amount relative to what is borrowed, and therefore with housing going up in price and wages not matching, could it be, Claire, that more and more people are just being price out of the market they can't get the loan they need to buy the house well that's it as well well you know with the prices the way they are at the moment and that being just exacerbated by the lack of stock you know pricing there's very few people that can afford what's available at the moment um you know 1100 square foot properties you know coming in in excess of 300 you know high threes you know it's a huge amount of money for square footage um so you know a lot of people are just being priced out of the market and then those that are available are able to buy there's nothing available for them elaine you'll have a legal take on this and you'll know about separation of powers and the role of the president what he's supposed to do or not do as the case may be did he cross the line well i suppose i kind of i would think i suppose he's saying the truth um so i think he you know described her our housing policy in Ireland as a great, great failure. And I suppose I would agree with him that like it, it isn't a crisis anymore. It is a disaster. Um, and, you know, even, you know, I suppose the price of rent now is so high and then it makes it so difficult, maybe if you're trying to save for a deposit and there's just sh- such a shortage of houses there. I suppose I would see, you know, just say from a conveyancing context, you know, that um, say any sales or a lot of sales that we would have is where the person has passed away and maybe it's a probate sale and you know there's very few sales otherwise um, and it's just it is just such such a huge problem and I would think look if the controversy if it does something to spur more action or if it you know gets some kind of positive result then I think it's a good thing. Coming back to an earlier topic a listener wonders if other coffee shops do this. So they were in Athlone and they went into, we won't name the place, and they had their reusable cup and the store proceeded to measure the amount of coffee that was appropriate in a disposable cup and then pour from that into the reusable cup and the disposable still went in the bin. 
And their point is, doesn't that defeat the whole purpose of reusable cups? And I'm just wondering, has anybody else seen this, that in order to control the measure, they're still using the plastic cup? No, <laughs> that's um, that's yeah, that's one of the most ridiculous things I've heard in a while. But um, yeah, you can't accommodate for stupidity sometimes. Unfortunately, with I don't think there's an answer there for that. One, I really honest. hope that's a one-off. I truly, truly <laughs> so do. do. I. Yeah. The planet hopes it as well. Yes. Oh eight three thirty ten one zero three on text and WhatsApp. If it's not, if you've seen this happen elsewhere, do tell me. Do tell me. Um. There was a brilliant interview this week with Chris Hadfield. He is an astronaut and he was appearing before children, uh, primary school aged children, and trying to inspire them and talking about having his dream from the age of six or seven, a very tender age of wanting to go into space and being focused on it and never being sidelined and never being distracted. You like this story, Elaine. Why? Yeah, I love this story, Will. Uh, I just think it's really inspirational and really motivational. Um, so I think, yeah, it's the, yeah, as you said, the Canadian astronaut, Colonel Chris Hadfield. So we met 150 school children last weekend. And so to my mind, he really got across that if you really want something and you're willing to put in the work, you can achieve it. So as he said, so he said that from the age of nine, he wanted to be an astronaut. He was inspired by sci-fi works such as Star Trek. And then when he was 10 in 1969, he re realized this dream could become a reality because Neil Armstrong became the first person to step on the moon. And I love what he said to the children. So he told them that if you are just starting to think about jobs, why don't you pick a really fun, cool, visible one like I want to walk on the moon, which I did when I was nine. So I would love, you know, for my children to have, you mm, know, to, mm. to have something in mind and to really go for it and realize that, you know, if you work hard, you can achieve it. Maybe not necessarily the moon now. I might be pushing it on that one, but... <laughs> Yeah, well, I have a pilot and a vet at home, if that's the case. I'm not sure about yeah. you, Elaine. Yeah, well, I, I well at the moment they're they're um they want to set up a, a pizza company. I have two boys wanting to set up a pizza company, and then my daughter Mary is going to be a hairdresser. So that's the plans here for the moment. Well, the pizza company's quite novel. They may enter the Westmead's Enterprise competition at some stage doing that. Yeah, absolutely. I just tell them now, as long as there's some free pizzas for their parents. <laughs> OK, we won't talk about calories again. We've had one calorie conversation already this morning. That's enough. A story that caught your eye, Eamon, understandably, given that you're working in pharmacy. The number of people contracting COVID-19 and being hospitalised is on the rise again. Now, not to any extent that the hospitals are being overwhelmed. This isn't a 2020 story all over. But how do you read into this trend? Um, yeah, well, like, first of all, we're all, everybody's sick of talking about COVID, but we'll keep it brief. But I suppose, like, the good thing is, like, 
like we're all aware now the the new the, the latest variant of Omicron and this this various new parts of Omicron coming you know but it's not causing major illness but I suppose like it's just a, it's just that's that's the way pandemics peter out so don't peter out overnight it's gonna it's gonna it peters out it peter out over years and I suppose look the reality is COVID's gonna be with us like really it's gonna be with us forever you know and um you know this is just our new reality it's going to be peaks and troughs and um you know it's like it's probably going to be a situation like for example with the travel like thankfully most countries have dropped the the um the need for the this travel search you know but like say for example germany um has dropped it as cancer you know you don't need it going into germany until september because i suppose they're aware that come september mm. as we're going to be indoors more there will be rises you know so like there's a like it's not nothing major to worry about at the moment and most people that you know um have are vaccinated and is protecting people but um the, the reality is it's going to be peaks and troughs you know we know just with the vaccine like we have a we're still um, doing the COVID-19 vaccine booster and we do a walk-in every walk-in clinic every Wednesday. And like we had a hundred people in Wednesday that's gone, whereas people and a lot of the people, it's people traveling or, or looking for it. And then I suppose people over 65 as well, you know, so I suppose it's, um, you know, like people are conscious of it and, and um, you know, taking the, taking the precautions with mask wearing, we wear them in, in the pharmacy, but like, um, you know, obviously healthcare second, we have vulnerable people coming in. But yeah, I suppose I agree. Like I know, um, what do you call him? Professor Barry says, um, you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, you should probably wear them in, in crowded areas, you know, because it hasn't gone away, you know. So, and then the question is whether people are going abroad this year or staying in Ireland. And a final story: the Oireachtas Tourism Committee heard on Wednesday accusations that hoteliers are damaging the country's reputation through some of the prices being charged. Sinn Féin TD Imelda Mulster claimed that the cheapest hotel in Dublin for one night in July, €379. The cheapest, I underline, in Dublin one night. So are you staying local, Claire, or are you going abroad for your holidays or have you decided yet? I haven't decided yet, but you see, you've got the prices, high prices at home, and then you've got the problems with the airports to go abroad. So I, I'd be staying at home in Athlone, I think, at this rate. But uh, like, I do agree, like, I really believe like some of the hoteliers are really, you know, making hay while the sun shines, as the saying goes, you know, and um, they're really taking a short term view of like putting these high the price hikes in. And, you know, it is kind of putting people off coming here and, you know, why we might get them this year, you know, are they going to come back to Ireland next summer if their prices were so heavy this year for them? Well, we'll have to wait and see because the hoteliers, of course, point out that their costs have increased, energy across the board, wage expectations and staffing is a challenge after people moved on to other industries after COVID. So it's never a simple one-sided story. Guys, appreciate your time this morning and thank you for joining us on the Friday panel. Thank you, Will. Thank you, everyone. And today we had the company of Claire Mulvihill from Athlone Credit Union, Elaine Byrne of ElaineBurnSolicitors.ie, she's based in Athboy, and Eamon Brady of Wheelahan's Pharmacies in Mullingar. Forest Fest Friday continues on the afternoon show. Tickets to Saturday, where you will see the stunning as the headline act. Carl James coming after 12. But thanks to Cameron Clark for putting the programme all together. We'll chat to you Monday morning from nine. Take care. Bye-bye.